Hi and welcome to a new episode of the State of the Net podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarin. And I'm Ewan Semple. And the news of today is that podcasting is cool. It's officially cool. <laughs> well, po- podcasting might be cool. I'm not sure about podcasters. I don't know if we could... Podcasters are cool. Are I mean, I, I have... I have had an account on the Apple Podcast Connecting for probably 10 years and they never cared about me. And now they send me emails saying, dear podcasters, wow. uh, do you know that uh, people can listen to Apple Podcasts on Alexa in the Americas? And um, yesterday I also got a message from Spotify for podcasters saying that, uh, you know, like one of those, the year in review for your podcast. <laughs> Um, mm. of uh, all the people apparently we are trending in Brazil so if you if you go to Brazil thank you to both of you yeah. pe- <laughs> don't be surprised if people stop you on the streets because uh, uh, according to Spotify that's our that's where most of our market well is. that's funny do you remember back in the early days of blogging I used to have a lot of people in Brazil following my blog Maybe they're just. Er- so, oh, I guess it's, you're not an early adopter if you're getting into podcasting now. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I think that the other reason might be that Sophia, who works with me in uh, at Activate, and she does the marketing for our house, she is in Rio. <laughs> <laughs> so she's yes, it. Sophia. She's the trend. She might be the she might be the trend, Excellent. but uh, but um, still, it's uh, I th- uh, yesterday or a few days ago I read that like one in four people in the UK has uh, listened to a podcast in the last month or something. I thought you were going to say ours for a minute there. <laughs> it's it's booming. I mean, I I have started another. I I'm plugging my other podcast here. There is I started another podcast called uh, Investor Series. Yes, Investor we haven't talked about that, have we? Yeah, com. we should do. Yeah, tell it, Paul. To put, so, tell me more about it. What's in it? Because I have to confess, not not to not having listened, Paul. That's a bit of an admission <laughs> on air. Well, it's uh, it's uh, it's something that I'm doing with uh, Stephanie Forrest uh, from TFD, mm, uh, cool. a, a marketing and PR company. And uh, we are meeting different type of investors in uh, in London, and uh, basically asking to all investors the same set of questions, uh, both with the purpose of helping founders of startups to pitch better or to tell them, you know, what turns investors on, and uh, also to people who might be interested in investing in startups, uh, you know, give recommendations, idea. Cool. And uh, we just did. We did. We uh, have interviewed five investors so far. The fourth episode is coming out tomorrow, uh, which is uh, for people who will listen it at other point in time, the nineteenth of of uh, December. And um, we both have a podcast where you can listen to the whole interview, which usually is like around half an hour, and uh, you can do see the videos on uh, on uh, YouTube. Fantastic. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying. I mean, I think it's uh, every person we interviewed gave some interesting mm-hmm. new ideas, and uh, and then I, I basically I'm doing I'm editing the audio, I'm editing the video. I also put together the little music for the for the titles. I mean, it's uh, I'm I'm having a lot of fun. Excellent. Putting this yeah, yeah. together. Well, and it's it's so 
useful. I mean, I was just listening as I often, you know, I listen to podcasts all the time when I'm driving and was listening to one of the most recent Joe Rogan ones and he was talking to the young guy who invented the technique for scooping up the vast amounts of plastic in in the Pacific. And, you know, just again, they were talking about the potential the internet still has to help people be better informed. And I was thinking that I've learned so much from the various interviews that Joe Rogan has done with scientists and anthropologists and archaeologists and, you know, proper in-depth stuff, not just a superficial skim over what they do. And I love the fact that Jamie, who who cleans the windows for us, who's known, you know, kids went to school with our kids, he's a fan of Joe Rogan's podcast as well. And, you know, a guy who I would normally not, not normally have that much in common with, we're standing in the garden having a chat about elements of science and anthropology and archaeology. You know, I love that. And the fact that it's becoming as popular as it is, is, is fantastic, because it's just that potential for people to learn more about about anything really yeah no it's great i mean it's uh it's a renaissance of the spoken word if you want but uh it's uh it, it's it's really amazing the fact that you can uh, i mean between podcasts and audiobooks i mean yeah. it's yeah. uh it's there is so much interesting stuff out there that i mean i don't even consider to listen to music anymore in, in when i you know, out and about. It's mm-hmm. always about, yeah, me too. Uh, you know, and 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 I'm, I I do listen to some fiction, but I I really enjoy you know history books and science mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and also you, eco- you... I'm I'm economy podcasts. Economy podcasts are so interesting. Yeah, which is crazy. well, some, something that's been around for a while, but I've only really just discovered now because there was a book that I found worthwhile enough to buy both the Kindle and the audio audible version of, but they synchronize. And it's oh, a, yes, and it's really true. cool. It's the fact that you can be reading a paragraph in a in your yeah, and then the next second start listening, and it's exactly the same place. It's so cool. Yeah, I I did that. I I love listening to books when I go to sleep. I, I put them on a timer, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I have somebody softly reading a book to me as I fall asleep, and then the next morning I just open the book on whisper sync, and I have to go back to <laughs> yeah. where I you know the last bit that I remember, yeah. and I realize this way that usually I fall asleep like in one minute. <laughs> That's, <quite laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> I, I just have to go back all the way to where I thought I was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it's it's uh, it's really great. I mean, it's uh, and I noticed that I I'm recommending audiobooks and podcasts to everybody I meet. Yeah. And, and everybody likes it. I mean, it's 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 hard to find people that don't find something good for them. Well, and it's partly of just the devices, isn't it? We're wasting our time here because, of course, we're wasting our time here because I suppose that anybody listening to this has already been sold on podcasts. It's a bit meta, isn't it? Yes, we should, we should, <laughs> we should move on. <laughs> so uh, I think that something interesting that happened between this uh, episode and our last one is that uh, pretty much immediately after we, we released the last one, two things happened. One was that Sasha Baron Cohen gave this speech that a lot of people linked at the Anti-Defamation League in America. And then like a day later, Tim Berners-Lee announced this uh, contract for the web initiative. Uh, so I'm proud to say that tomorrow, today we have here as guests uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and Tim Berners-Lee. <laughs> But it, it was interesting that Sasha Baron Cohen thing, and we should we should link to it in the in the notes. But I shared it, and I enjoyed watching it, and I agreed 
pretty much with all that he said, but I also was still left with an uncomfortable feeling that, well, it's the whole thing that we've been through so many times on the podcast about editorial standards, who gets to exercise them, whose responsibility it is. And there was a bit of pushback against that speech from the usual tech optimists, as it were. Um, so I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go back through those arguments again. It was just that there's a, there is a, a risk, I think, involved in, in expecting Twitter or Facebook or, or whoever else to sort out what effectively are moral and ethical issues. I mean, I thought he he steered quite a good line in the sense that there are laws, there are laws that affect these things that apply in society generally. It's ridiculous for the the internet not to be, not to come under those laws. And all of that was completely true. So it was, uh, and it was such a well-delivered rant. He was great. Yeah, no, it was brilliant. I, I, I liked very much the bit where he was basically saying how if if you don't share if we don't share some common truth jokes don't work yes and and of course nothing else works but but uh, i i think it was extremely uh, a, a very good way of of stating it yes and it wasn't too uh, do- doctrine uh, dogmatic or yes yes yeah no i i, I think that was uh, it, it was very i, I really like him i, I must mm-hmm. say it's mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, it, he does these extreme things but uh, it's uh, um i think he's a clever dude yep yep on on the other hand uh, and then you've got tim yes yeah, sorry <laughs> on the other hand tim sir tim released the contract for the web uh, what was your reaction <laughs> whatever um Yes, it was signed it, it, by Facebook. Well, I thought that was part of the problem. It was the people that he'd lined up behind it, and you thought, really? I mean, because I think there still is a scope for uh, non-commercial idealists to kind of <laughs> regain the high ground that could, 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 we could argue has been lost since the start of all this. But I don't think I don't think what Tim Berners Lee is doing is it um, for all sorts of reasons. I don't, uh, I mean, I, I, it 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 did remind me uh, probably more than uh, the the Clue Train Manifesto. It reminded me. Do you remember a uh, word of ends uh, that um, Doc Sears and David Weinberger wrote? Yes. Sorry. Well. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yes. I, I misunderstood you. Yes. It, it yes. was like this yes. short. It was like this short document uh, highlighting what the web should be, and I think that probably most of those concepts were already there yes i guess that the problem is that back then all the shit that then happened had not happened yet yes. <laughs> so it it made sense today having something like this it's yeah the fact that then it was signed by facebook and google it was like i say yeah because the other thing that happened not, not long after that was jack dorsey at twitter um talking about launching a, 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 an open standard for social media. Not entirely sure what he means by that. but And then there was also the, um, which I think we did talk about the last time, uh, Wiki, um, Wikipedia's Wiki Tribune um, mm-hmm. thing, which I think we both just confessed to each other we, we, we subscribed to for one, two payments, and then cancelled. Yeah, I had completely forgotten about it until I got a notification about the payment to which yeah. I said, oh shit, I went there and cancelled. <laughs> Me too. And it's a and shame so, I mean, because, I, you know, I'd love for it to have worked. I, I'm dying. I mean, I'm beginning to really sort of give up on Facebook and Twitter, to be honest. I'm just getting bored you know, the, with it. The thing is, 
the thing is that uh, you you can't release such a piece of beep in yes. the end of 2019. Yes. I mean, I'm sorry. I, yes. I understand the complexity of creating software and I understand everything, but there is really there isn't enough love in that product and no. okay I, I get it you can put the disclaimer up saying we're really getting a lot of traffic bear with us but like one month later you still have the disclaimer up there yeah. it's like ugh. and 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 to be honest i have a similar i mean yes i get it that you can have a small number of very clever people they can do huge things but the fact that uh, twitter is putting five people on their open source initiative uh i mean okay it's interesting the fact that they are exploring it i suppose that uh, it's uh, it, it can make sense uh, to to create an open environment where they're not the only player because uh, it would help them it will help take some of the responsibility away from them mm -hmm. um so okay it it makes sense i mean in, in theory you know the white house could be running their own feed and everybody would be able to subscribe to it but uh it wouldn't have to be maintained by Twitter and you know it, it makes a lot of sense for Twitter yeah. but it would also be a very good thing for the for the open web mm -hmm. um, but will this happen I don't know maybe I mean it's it's uh, we're in a funny period aren't we because there was such a for, for the longest time there's been a, an incredible ongoing march of innovation and new stuff and cool stuff but the last what four or five years maybe it's all got a bit static hasn't it and, and boring and or anything that's come along hasn't had enough uh gravitas for want of a better word to make a difference you know, i mean there's all the things like TikTok and snapchat and whatever else but they're not, they're not going to meet the sort of needs we're talking about really i think that i think that we are going through a process where you know, all the innovation that was started at this point probably more than 10 years ago is uh, coming to maturity and, it, and you know, we need to, to manage it. Yeah. And we need, to, we need to figure out what to do of all these things and, uh, and uh, you know, whether they are doing it to themselves or we are doing it to them or the yeah. governments are doing it to somebody. But uh, Somebody got to do something. It's uh, e even if it's user driven, it still need to happen. Yeah. And so I think that there is a lot of thinking about uh, what are the most sensible next steps. What are the, um, you know, what kind of what are the consequences? Just yeah. to use a state of the net keyword. Yeah. Clearly, I don't have any answers to that, Paolo. Not for today. Not for today. Not for this. No, not fifteen minutes <laughs> in the in the uh, podcast but if you stick all the way to the end we might have an answer to it <laughs> well yeah i mean i think you're right and it's not just the social media stuff again on that joe rogan podcast they were talking about so much change happening so fast at the moment and the feeling like i mean i've always felt that america's sort of going through a teenage phase if you like and for the same reasons as teenagers too many hormones flying around the place and it all goes a bit a bit ugly um and you know they were being optimistic that we will begin to mature in our use of these things and i think you know i think the same is true of the politics i think it's just been really interesting in the uk over the last few weeks with the 
debacle that was the general election, and and you know, but I think pe- people are sort of getting wearied, and are, are are likely to want to get to something better. And there was a good article, a friend of mine, Rob Watson, uh, at the BBC wrote a good piece about the British character, which I've sort of talked about before here. That that kind of slightly sarcastic, cynical, um, jokey kind of attitude to things it, it, it can at times be a weakness but I think in these kind of circumstances it's a strength and I think it'll just be interesting to see what Britain ends up working working out as all this continues to ramble through society you know it's, it's, and, and the prospect that I think again we've mentioned is of, of us working some stuff out that might be useful to other people in the way I wonder where are we going to end if we don't find some common ground or some shared context at some point. You know, a little bit of yeah. what we were saying earlier about Sasha Baron Cohen. I Something that actually I heard in his speech was that uh, he said that I think something like 60% of, uh, of uh, millennials don't have never heard of Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it can't be true. And I have a couple of millennials in my office so I went and asked and sure enough you know one knew one didn't really and uh, and I thought okay that's odd and okay this is just going to be you know a matter of schools and and uh, education but at the same time something else that I was noticing in in dealing and you know I know that these are generalizing from experience with with such a limited uh, number of uh, of uh, you know data points doesn't make sense <laughs> but two. and yeah. uh, and 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 honestly every, every time I think about this I think about your daughters I think yeah well you see there is smart young people so that, that that's fine but I think that there is this odd tendency about of not it's not about not believing anything, but at the same time leaving everything open to the alternative. You know, saying, Yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe this is real, but maybe something else is true. So, you know, you try to have a discussion about we, we were having a discussion around uh, um, horoscopes and astrology mm-hmm. and, and saying, well, you know, there is no scientific basis. I said, yeah, but, you know, maybe it's true. And like, yeah, but, you know, it's not. <laughs> like, it's, uh, and apparently astrology is booming. Uh, well, I've, and I've got some, I've got some uh, older, far from stupid friends who, who, who are increasingly finding it interesting. And, you know, there's a part of me knows that if the moon can exert enough um influence on the planet to move tides and given that we're 99% water it would be odd if movements of that kind of sort didn't have some impact on us no you know there's clearly hormonal cycles are affected by it and all sorts of other things so you know yeah but how can that how can something that happened 60 years ago still influence you it's well but yeah but see again patterns of consequences the ways we respond to things that then set up sequences of events. You know, and even that, you know, the, given the amount I read about non-duality and Buddhist thinking, that, that the whole idea of right and wrong is a construct. And clearly people like Hitler and things like the Holocaust test that to an extreme. But if you follow that line of thinking, then there is an inevitability 
you know, what happened couldn't not have happened. doesn't mean you let it happen again. It doesn't mean you don't try and exercise influence to prevent it. But, you know, I think sometimes we muddy the waters with right and wrong. In fact, that was part of my problem with Sasha Baron Cohen's speech because, you know, the whole thing about labour and anti-Semitism and trying to pick your way through all of that and the different reports, the different vested interests, my sneaking suspicion that people quite often conflate anti-Semitism with anti-Semitism with anti-Zionism, um, which are, and they're not the same thing, I don't think. Um, so you know, even even what one group might think is the most clear right and wrong isn't quite as clear as we think it is. Yes, but still, you know, if if we discuss about a political position fine if we discuss about science or if you discuss about history i appreciate i mean somebody started because at that point everything is 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 valid at any point you know holocaust holocaust uh, uh, negations becomes plausible so anyway, how, how do you know it, it was that true was it not true it's like uh, it's all sorry it was not i mean i i think that there needs to be a common ground and i think that we're losing that now it it might be true, and, and as I said, I'm curious to see where we will end up without uh, having a shared yeah. story, yeah. Uh, without having a shared reference. Right now, I am struggling a little bit. I mean, I, I'm I'm dealing with situations where I'm quite certain about something, and because of you know it has my experience or because it's. And and when everything is questioned, and and look, I I, I appreciate the the good part of questioning everything. Actually, I I, I enjoy that mm -hmm. bit. But I think that you get to the point where if you want to get anything off the ground, you need to agree on something, because otherwise, it if we continue with, uh, you know, let's agree to disagree about uh, facts. It becomes a little bit hard. Sort of reminding me of a, a phrase from, and I've forgotten his name, oh, a new agey sort of writer, but he said, if you've got a choice between being right and being kind, be kind. And I, again, sometimes wonder if so much of the, the, the justified righteous indignation that you see flaring up on the internet, you know, we need to get ourselves trained out of that. Oh, that's but but that that is uh, well, but this is, but it's part but it's, but it's part of the same thing. It's part of this confidence that one group's right and there is a right and there is a wrong and we've got the high ground and you're not and blah blah blah. You know that. Oh, I mean, but look, I'm I'm not really. Uh, I I agree that that is a problem. I wasn't really even in that space. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really even discussing about the. I'm just talking about you know if you and I need to do something if if we you and I need to work on something very often we need to agree on some basis and sometimes it's hard to get there sometimes it's hard to get to the point where no it's okay, not we th <laughs> no not with uh, no, no I'm joking I'm joking but, I'm but uh, it is with some in some situation you find yourself in a saying of okay we we don't even have a shared agreement mm -hmm. and at that point you kind of say all right then I'm not sure what to do it's it's uh, mm -hmm. and it's not because I'm not willing to challenge myself it's just because it's yeah well 
you know, the, it's it all became very relative. It's really interesting because yeah. so many things that I'm now involved in need rules. You know, the rules of the road and and. I watch people all the time on the motorway just breaking the rules in ways that's, that terrify me, you know. Um, so that's an example of a shared environment where you need to have a shared set of quite rigidly adhered to rules. Um, but then, you know, we were talking about software earlier where rules are beginning to be applied algorithmically. And there is an argument that a, a, an organisation, a, a corporate body, has a legal requirement. They have to meet those rules. It's not unreasonable to manifest those rules in software. But there is still something that that sort of worries me uh, about who gets to decide the rules and how long they last and what you do when the world changes and they're not the right rules anymore, you know. Well, I mean, I suppose that uh, it's much easier to adapt rules if they are written in software than if they are written in stone. So, to some degree, software, you can actually create rules that self-adapt based yeah. on context yeah. uh, if, you, if you do it with software. But so what, what rules do you apply to make it adapt in which ways? Yeah. Well, you have more, you know, you have... Uh, <laughs> data coming from the context itself so you can say you know if traffic once all cars will be self-driving you will not need traffic laws as we need yes. them today because yes. traffic laws as we need them today are very much based That's uh, true. on the fact that you have uh, very very little computational power in each yes. vehicle so it's easier if you say everybody like every, everybody drives on this side of the of the road yes because otherwise it gets complicated but you have if you have enough computing power and every vehicle is talking to every other vehicle you know they can just go everywhere as long as uh, there is some algorithm that it can yeah. dynamically adapt and make sure that you're using uh, i mean if you want to see an example of how self-driving traffic will work in the future just go to any Indian city where <laughs> yeah. pretty much everybody's going for what they think is the fastest route and it's it it creates a, f a huge jam but at the same at the same time it's very efficient in the way people so that's so that's the, such a such a good example for what I'm talking about and it's the same sort of thing as those Scandinavian towns that have taken away all the road signs hmm. and it's actually reduced accidents and it, it's the same sort of principle that's niggling away at me that with Sasha Baron Cohen, that we shouldn't need... I mean, this has been very idealistic, but deep down we all kind of know when we're being a little shit. Um, and we can only do it when we're justifying it on the basis of some other bigger issue sort of thing. And so we'll never get to learn not to be a little shit if we don't get the chance. Oh, look, I mean, I, I think st st still in the in the traffic metaphor, I, I realized this uh, the first time I went to Naples, which is kind of like New Delhi, yep. uh, but in Italy. And uh, you realize that you can cross the street anywhere. I mean, you can just step on the street and people will stop and you will just, you know, walk between the cars and get on the other side of the street. Yep. That is because everybody is expecting something like that to happen. Yes. If you step on a street 
in London, even anywhere you're not supposed to, <laughs> would just run over you because nobody expects some idiot to walk into the. Well, if, if you, and if you, as a friend of mine told me, if you do it in Denmark, even in the middle of the night when there's no traffic there, people will tut disapprovingly at you. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, look, I, I was just, I, I, one hour ago, I was in my hometown in northern Italy. And uh, I mean, I, I have kind of taken the London habit that, you know, if you need to cross the street and there is no one and you can see the white, you cannot see the white of the eyes of the upcoming driver, you could just cross. I mean, yeah. it's your duty as a Londoner to get away from the way of other people who are probably doing something important and you are standing in their way. But I realized I was in this in the center of hometown. There was no traffic. There was no cars, like zero cars in any direction, and still there was a red light, and everybody was waiting yeah. to, to to cross the street. Yeah, and it's it's. Um, I I think that it it is interesting how by creating smarter algorithms that can apply rules in a more dynamic way you can have a more efficient system but you still need to have some rules you need still need to share yes the you, yes. you still need to agree that you know vehicles hitting each other is bad okay if you don't agree on that then it becomes a little bit messy yeah so this thing about rules responsibility b- trust Institutions. I mean, again, this this sort of relates back to the politics, doesn't it? And how we sort of lost confidence and trust mostly in in our politicians. I think even those who voted for Boris don't necessarily think he's going to necessarily you know do the right thing. But um, it's it's unsettling for for a lot of people at the moment, isn't it? That lack of clarity. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm Italian. We never trusted our positions <laughs> to begin with. But uh, I I I I, un- I understand it as a Britisher, as uh, as uh, my Indian friends called it. Uh, I, you're struggling with this. What is the last? Who is the last politician you trusted? Well, it's a bit a bit about age, isn't it? I mean, it's like when the policemen get older than you, the doctors are. Oh, sorry, younger than you, and the doctors are younger than you, they sort of stop trusting them. But it's not quite that. It's more, I think, the whole PR-driven, personality-driven thing of the last, what, maybe 15 years or so. So... Oh, we had Sidio Berlusconi more than 20 years ago. Well, OK, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm contracting the time. But certainly, I grew up in an era where there was still... You know, not much television, certainly no internet. Politicians had to get out and knock on doors to a degree. They, you know, they only do it for the photo opportunity these days. And you had proper hustings where they'd sort of take on all comers and have robust arguments. And that that's all become so stage managed and so sanitized these days. And you know, it it, it has become quote unquote professional. Yes, and the perils of professionalism, as I often talk about, that it becomes an end in itself and stops meeting the needs that it was originally intended for. And yeah, totally. We want a bunch of enthusiastic amateurs for our politicians, not bloody professionals. Well, then again, I mean, you you, you read a little bit of history and suddenly you realise that uh, throughout human history there have been these kind of, of uh, yeah, true. abuses. I mean, 
I think that maybe we went through a phase uh, in the. It, it might have been around the industrialization of uh, of everything of you know the society of society, but also of information, where for some time we thought that things were cleaner or you know more organized or yeah, less yeah. corrupted. Yeah, yeah, totally. We thought totally. And maybe they just never were. No, it was just. There was a lick of paint that uh, <laughs> is not working anymore, and now suddenly we are realizing that uh, you know the emperor is naked, but maybe it's us. Well, and yeah, maybe it's yeah. social media creating this uh, this new realization. Yeah, and and I think it is that stripping away of, you know, the the whole engine of capitalism and buying stuff and consumerism and advertising and marketing, and that's all the same dissatisfaction engine that's behind the politics and everything else it's you know um we're in this dreadful place i will save you all vote for me you know um which i don't think has been good for us and as you say i don't think historically is necessarily the way the world has been for most of our time on the planet i i guess it's the 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 challenge is that you know we we went from a situation where the money from advertising was given to journalists so that they would create content that people were interested in reading mm -hmm. and with the content they would get some advertising mm -hmm. now not ideal but this is what was happening then from there you know google came about and said yeah you don't need the content created from journalists because if you want the product all you need to do, you're probably going to search for the name of the product. So we will just put the ad there. And suddenly money went from uh, paying journalists to create content uh, in order to get people's attention straight to advertising on the search engine to get people's attention. And then at some later point, you know, Facebook and the other social media platform came about said, well, you don't even need to wait for people to search for something because if we capture their attention and mm -hmm. we basically keep them stuck to our systems, we're going to know so much about them. We'll just be pushing product to them when we think that is the best, uh, the best moment. And we, and we optimize this algorithmically. And it doesn't matter if the way to keep somebody's attention is to make them angry or to make them you know react to system or to feed them dogs and 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 you know kittens uh well we'll just do everything that that captured their attention and and because they were very good they actually were very effective in doing this yep. unfortunately i think that we might have lost something <laughs> in this uh, evolution the plot. because yeah. i mean and i'm not saying and i'm not in any way saying that you know back in the day the journalists were particularly good but maybe there was some the byproduct of their activity was better than the byproduct of what we have today because the byproduct of uh, that was information as superficial and uh, lying as you want but the byproduct of this is disinformation i mean the byproduct of this is everybody having you know their own very specific perspective on reality that has been crafted by well, that's yes. I was going to say that's the trouble. It's not their own. If it was their own, I would have no, lost no, an issue with it. It's, it's, well, it, it's it, manufactured it, it's, by another means. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but it is uh, it is fed specifically reacting to literally you know by measuring. If Facebook could measuring your you know 
dopamine release and feed you a little bit more yep. uh, news. It was, there was a, a book I read recently in in a not so distant future where this is how it works. Everybody's wearing these goggles, and uh, they are shown video that just react to their to to, to, to just are there to create a constant release uh, of of uh, you know basically body generated drugs and uh, it is uh, you know if you can't deal with that and i think that some can better than others then it can become a little bit problematic yeah and it's so there was a the story about the gov about the conservatives not appearing on the today program and no no longer making it illegal not to pay your license fee for the BBC and one of the news presenters Hugh Edwards did this this speech and it was just so out of touch and out of date for me I mean there are other people probably listening to this and people who maybe read about it on Facebook who, who agreed with them but it was just the broadcasters have let themselves down frankly. I mean, and of course the BBC is not funded by advertising. It could and should have maintained the high ground. Um, but I just can't bring myself to watch BBC News anymore. It's so tabloid and superficial and lightweight and quite often wrong. Um, you know, Channel 4, yeah, do, Channel 4 does a good fist at doing a decent news programme, but that's about it these days. And certainly not the Today programme. That's just been this farce with John Humphreys playing cat and mouse with politicians for the last 10, 15 years, I just couldn't bring myself to listen to it, never mind defend it. I think that journalism is there mostly because journalists managed to lose any any trust they had from, from people. Mm -hmm. And this is because of their fault. I mean, it's not because social media, or no. not because Google, it's not because Facebook. No. I mean, people were happy to step away from that because there was no trust there. Yeah. And uh, and uh, it is uh, their responsibility to rebuild this trust. Yes. Yes, we need that function. Uh, and, and we need it to work. It's just not working at the moment particularly. And it's for all of you. On the other hand, I think that, for example, the BBC, they have some very interesting podcasts. Yeah, but clearly, you know, there's a big organisation. There are still lots of good things they do. I think Channel uh, BBC Four has got fantastic documentaries and stuff on it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not writing off the whole organisation. But, you know, we've, we've got a friend who still works at the BBC who... Uh, maybe I can't tell that story. But there's, there's a, an arrogance and a complacency still about technology. That they, they Well, they see it as technology. They don't see it as societal change. And so they don't see that they're now out of step with those changes. And that means they don't see the fact that we do still need proper quality. I mean, I know there's arguments that qu quality uh, investigative journalism and war journalism costs money and you have to find a way to pay for it. And we get back into that never ending loop about the only way to pay for anything is adverts. Um, oh, but I mean, how many, how many things are you paying for? Oh, I, I'd pay for every, it. Yeah, I'd pay for it. Every, I'd pay, every, I'd, every I've stopped using month. Instagram because of the bloody ads. I would happily pay 10 quid a month to have an ad-free Instagram, but instead I've stopped using it. But, you know, you, you, I pay for Netflix. I pay for Prime. I pay for yeah. The Economist. I pay for The Guardian. I pay for... 
I don't pay, for, unfortunately, I don't pay for Wikimedia, what it's called anymore, but I did pay for two months. I mean, we pay for a lot of things. So I didn't think that, I, especially with the, with the, the success that so many subscription-based, uh, even journalistic services yeah. uh, have, I didn't think that that excuse is good anymore. No. I mean, you know, no. because you need money to send people somewhere. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. Do, do it well and I'll Probably pay you for it. people will yeah. give you yeah. money. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I mean, I, I've been involved with uh, uh, a, a, a company that uh, produces uh, daily... Uh, news briefing uh, in exchange of a of a fee, and I love the simplicity and the balance of a system where basically I'm the client, you're the journalist. I give you two euros and you give me a daily briefing, and that's it. Yeah. There's no one else involved in this relationship. You are working for me because I'm giving you a little bit of money. Well, I've, I've argued the case for iTunes for journalism for a long time, and you know because that that was a, a way of turning you know the free-for-all of Napster into a market where people would pay for something that was well done reasonably priced and easy to do I just don't see why that can't happen to news I mean it, it it's uh, it is happening in some like for example mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the information in in San Francisco they do um, very detailed reporting on on technology, of course, but uh, so on a specific area, but uh, they are a, a very apparently a very well established and very serious journalistic uh, institution, and they're completely based on if you want to read information, you need to pay a subscription. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that there are new types of uh, of media companies that are emerging yeah. and that uh, will establish new new systems. Of course, the problem is that uh, you run the risk of uh, splitting this market even further between those who can pay and those who cannot pay. So if you can pay, you get the good stuff. But if you can't pay, you probably get the free stuff that is not very good because it's not done in making in your interest but in somebody else's. There's also the risk that I just pay for people that tell me the things I want to hear. Of course. But I, you know, I think that's, I think that's a that's a short that's a short term risk. I don't think we're going to fix it. This, I don't think we're going to fix it this time. No, are we giving up? Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. We'll try on the next episode. <laughs> Forty-two. That's the answer. <laughs>